Hi, I'm Will Evans, and welcome to another episode of Ahead of the Field from NFU Mutual. Now, throughout this series, we've been meeting different farmers who've been doing a whole range of things to create new sources of income. Today, we've come a few miles north of the Malvern Hills in the beautiful county of Worcestershire to visit a small farm that's looking to secure its future by offering guest accommodation that's high-end in every sense. And if you want to find out more about NFU Mutual's Farm Essentials Insurance for Smaller Farms, just search for NFU Mutual Small Farm or talk to your local agent. So the farm was bought nearly 20 years ago by Nikki Bevan and her husband John, and for the last 10 years or so, they've been setting up the tree opia business to run alongside the farming. They've built two luxury tree houses that they've just recently completed and made available to visitors. John, Nikki, thanks very much for letting us come along. Uh, we're standing in front of one of the tree houses now, and it is a far cry from the sort of things people might imagine tree houses to be, knocked together from some old planks of wood and a few nails. Perhaps you could describe it to me. Um, we basically wanted the tree houses to blend in with the existing woods and surroundings, so we didn't really want them to be noticed. Each tree house is built on a bank, uh, so the trees will always be fed from water, so when the water comes off the roof, it goes underneath the tree. It makes it easier to enter the tree house to the one side, and from the other side it looks quite something when you're looking down. The tree house is shingles around the outside, octagonal, uh, thatched roof. How big is it? It looks massive to me. I, I built a treehouse for my kids over the summer holidays and uh, it doesn't much look like this, I can tell you. Well, we basically have to work with what we've got, which is a tree. So you have to work around it. Well, you've got to go to the crown of the tree, so that determines the size of the um, treehouse because you've got to seal it at that point. And then from there you work down. And to work the base out, you then have to plumb it from that point there to get the tree. The tree house is built from a, a, around a, an ash tree. Each um, bay is five metres, so... Um, we yeah, just did a walkway meter. around it because it's quite nice just to walk around the whole of the tree house without the elements coming on you because obviously the thatch over overbears uh, the balcony. And how many does it sleep? It sleeps just two, this one. Okay. We wanted it quite a romantic sort of retreat. Yeah. And then Viviana, which is the other one, that sleeps four. Okay. But we wanted. We only want two tree houses. We don't want to be like some of these other yeah. places where you're on top of each other. Mm-hmm. It's important that you have your own space, Definitely. and you haven't got neighbours or people to talk to. Sometimes people just want to be on their own. So what strikes me about it is is the look. You know, it's got the the thatched roof, the beautiful balcony around the outside, uh, the craftsmanship. It's just so striking when you walk around the corner and see it for the first time. Did you, have you done all the work yourself? Yes, um, it was Nicky's design, but I think life should be a fairy tale. Yeah. So we all want our lives to be fairy tales, so why not live a life of a fairy tale? Definitely. Well, I've got four little girls who are very much into princesses and fairy tales, so, yeah. so they would, I can tell you, they'd, they'd, uh, they'd love this. So I understand you've got your next set of guests arriving in just under an hour, so is there any chance we might have a look inside before they get here? Yes, of course. Follow me. Wow. Wow. Isn't this beautiful? It feels cosy, but also really, really spacious. I, I love how the stairs go up around the tree trunk. It does, it does look like something out of a fairy tale. That's, that's a very appropriate way of putting it. Thank you. We do like the tree. 
in the middle of the treehouse. If yeah. it's a treehouse, yeah. it should have a tree in the middle. Yeah, it's very much the, the, the centrepiece of it all, isn't it? And, but for all the, the, the earthiness of it built around the tree and the naturalness of it, it's also got all the mod cons here as well. I can see a really big screen TV over there and underfloor heating. Absolutely. People like being in the middle of nowhere, but they like their com creature comforts. So we've got some very comfortable Super King beds with very deep mattresses. We've got Wi-Fi, smart TVs, underfloor heating, fully fitted kitchen and of course the wine cooler which is very important <laughs> there's so many striking features in the room but this door tell us about that it's a burrow tree that went rotten that was thrown away we brought it back sliced it up and then laminated it onto another piece of timber and then poured the center where it had gone rotten with resin filled it full of resin and then polished the resin and the door up to make a center panel for a large bathroom door wow the cabinets are touch um, fitting, so they're just open by touching. Other than the uh, dishwasher and the fridge, which we carved the handles into them to make them. So you can pull them down, obviously they don't work on a touch catch. Everything in the treehouse is bespoke. And if you have a kitchen that is parallel to a wall in a tight space, it reduces your space in your kitchen. But if you go into a triangular dementia, mm -hmm. then the treehouse or the kitchen will be bigger, mm -hmm. makes the room bigger. Your cupboards at one end are narrow, but the other end they're wide, so you still have the same cupboard space. So did you say that this was an ash tree? Yes, an ash tree. It's very important timber. It's used for an awful lot. It is really an unrated timber. It really is beautiful. Is this one of your favourite woods to work with, ash? Yes, it's one of the favourite. Um, all English hardwoods are beautiful. Mm -hmm. And do you have to maintain the tree much? Yeah, we get, get a tree surgeon around once a year to, to check the tree over and cut any dead wood out, so it's all good and healthy and make sure it's all doing what it's supposed to be doing well the tree is independent to the treehouse and the treehouse is independent to the tree mm -hmm. they can move together so it won't damage the tree so it's, it's all the time we've got to think of the tree because the tree at the end of the day is the most important part of this treehouse and where did the initial idea for the treehouses come from Nikki? well we've got a small herd of Hereford cattle and we hadn't got enough ground and we were very fortunate that a couple of fields next to us came up for sale. John wanted to buy these and he went ahead and bought them. And I said to him, well, how are you going to pay for them? Because there's no money in cattle not, not to pay for ground mm -hmm. like that. So uh, we got our heads together and we used to quite often, well, we still do, come for a walk down to the woods just to clear our heads and de-stress. It's got a lovely feeling down here. All right, shall we have a look upstairs? So we've come upstairs and once again the room is built all the way around the tree trunk and there's beautiful iron railings around. It just looks stunning. How much work went into the design of it? I guess you were years. It was years, but one thing led to another you couldn't plan the whole thing and make it because everything's bespoke mm -hmm. so you had to finish one thing before the other thing would tell you what needs to be there this one we finished two months ago but it was quite a, a hard work to get it finished because Nikki had rented it out because she said it, they've cost so much money we've got to get some revenue back so she pushed and pushed to get it finished so it was quite a few man hours to come and finish it off ready for the first guests 
finished at four o'clock and the guests arrived at seven minutes past four. And what kind of a reaction do you get from guests when they see it for the first time? Uh, speechless. They just come in and you don't see them no. for the, wherever. They just like hibernate in here. They just don't come out. No. And we never see them. Not even when we go and check the hot tub, we never see them. And then all of a sudden we'll see them walking up the drive with their suitcases and they go and they leave us lovely reviews. So it's very obvious that you've put years of work into this. What kind of cost is it to build something like this? The cost is phenomenal. Um, being a cabinet maker, I, uh, in February, 1st of February, I came down here and we finished it um, June, middle of June, but that was just the finishing off. Prior to that, it was... Um, Seven years was, on off. How many hours a week would that have been on this? Was one person on it for forty hours at least a week. Wow. Everything's handmade, everything's bespoke, everything's cut by hand. Yeah. There's not a machine that will cut and go around a, a treehouse other than hand tools. So it just takes a phenomenal amount of time. Yeah. If that woods is such a sort of special place to you and quite obviously quite personal if you go there for a walk, was it a quite a big decision to want to share it with other people? No, not really. Um, because we never wanted to overpopulate it. Mm -hmm. We just wanted just two tree houses and make them very separate from each other so that one can't see the other. So people have that privacy and that surroundings where they can't see anybody else, they don't have to socialise with anybody. They can just be on their own and have time together. What about the actual business, include the build, the website, etc.? It must have added up to a lot of money as we discussed how, how did you fund it well that's why it took us so long to build it because we've just done it gradually very very gradually mm-hmm. and we've sold a few cows and we've sold a bit of this and it's just time isn't it we've just taken our time which has been nice in a, a way is because we've been able to see how they've evolved the tree houses were the sites for the two tree houses quite obvious or did it take you a while to decide which trees and where to put them we had to find the tree suitable to build the tree house on as i said earlier it's got to be on a, a bank mm-hmm. so the trees roots always have to be fed water uh the, the tree the shape of the tree the, the structure of the tree no branches coming out low down things like that to make the tree work around a tree house what, so, do, what do the neighbours think immediately <laughs> of, of, of the neighbours they all laughed at us because yeah. when we said we we're building some tree houses john and i have got a very wild imaginations when it comes to building things Mm -hmm. and creating things and we knew what we wanted to build but I think everybody thought we were just going to build a shed in a tree (laughs) so it's quite funny when because we have brought the neighbours and friends and people here to show them so how is business going so far are you getting plenty of visitors we're getting a huge amount of response and a huge amount of bookings and it's it's only it's building isn't it so you've got your next guests arriving soon should we go and have a look outside before they get here of course so each panel's book matched to itself all the way around the panels but those were panels that were actually the, the burr oak was thrown away from another company which I saved um, so it's a lot of saving going on because um, it's amazing what you can do with a piece of wood even if you think it's a load of rubbish you can tr- create something fantastic from it it's just looking at it in a different way what's your chief means of getting the message out there to potential customers uh, 
we do social media but to be honest um, all of our guests leave such lovely reviews and they all have got Instagram and all these different social media things and it just word just goes around when you first started looking to diversify uh, where did you first look to for advice was it other farmers or friends or online or a bit of everything um, well John and I even though we eat sleep and live and work together we still talk mm-hmm. which is quite unusual <laughs> so we do we, we talk an awful lot and we do sort of bounce ideas off each other so the great pull of here as well as the treehouse itself is the beautiful countryside do you think we as farmers take it a bit for granted what an asset our locations can be in attracting people from towns and cities i think we take it for granted greatly yes a lot of people come here and they say isn't it quiet or we can see the stars or we saw a rabbit or a swan or a duck and we think well we see those every day We just walked down below the treehouse to the hot tub. I bet people love it down here, don't they? They spend a lot of time in the hot tub. It is one of the biggest attractions, as well as obviously it being a treehouse and remote, but people do do like a hot tub. So now we've had a good look around the treehouse, let's talk about the rest of the farm. Just give us a bit of a history of the place since you arrived. Well, the farm was derelict when we arrived here. Absolutely derelict. There was a few tiles on the roof. We had buckets all on the floor. There was hardly any electric. The water was spring water, which by the time it had heated up from the old immersion heater and you'd ran the bath, it had gone cold by the time the bath had filled up because the pressure was so low. How long had the house been empty for when you arrived? It wasn't empty. It was lived in. (laughs) Right, it was lived in and it was derelict. Yeah. Right, Okay. Well, derelict... I say derelict. It was, it, I suppose, it was very run down, wasn't it? The but glass didn't fit the uh, windows. So There's gaps, top and bottom. Mm. How old is the house? The house is uh, well. We can go back to 1304, wow. but I think there was. It's obviously there was something there before that, and we have got a medieval settlement in the middle field wow. that we bought, and obviously the medieval fishing pools as well. So we've been joined now by Jack Ballard, the local NFU mutual agent. Hi, Jack. Hello. So how closely involved have you been with the farm here over the years? Uh, not an awful lot, to be honest. They're, they're pretty. Um, uh, they're an adaptable couple, as you can see. So um, they've they've really just been in touch as and when their insurance is due every year, um, and then as the tree houses have have sort of been completed or virgin completion, then I would come down and see them and see what needs to be added on to make sure that everything's properly covered okay and it's a it's a relatively small farm um in size at least but certainly not in ambition what does that mean in terms of your role and relationship with the business it's just one to keep an eye on i suppose any diversifying farm needs to be sort of watched quite closely because things change very very quickly and you know there are plenty of examples that we've got that as soon as you involve the public onto a farm things change dynamics change mm-hmm. um the unexpected is going to happen so it's just making sure that a they're aware of of the risks and and b how we're there to support and safeguard it so when i first came to meet 
John and Nikki, um, the first treehouse was nearing completion. So they, you know, they they were just putting the shingles on the outside, um, and then you know as times progressed sort of uh, come more and more often and then the last time I visited Nikki and John the second house was right next to you know right near completion and uh, again the shingles were on and the bathtub was in there covered in bubble wrap looking very glamorous on its own um, and so yeah it's been uh, quite an eye-opener seeing them both done together. Definitely. And what can other farmers learn about the growth of this business do you think whether whether that's in terms of the diversification or the pace of the development? So I think one thing that strikes me is that uh, John and Nikki have have really you know taken their time with it, and it, you can really tell. I mean, the intricacy of both of the tree houses are just exceptional, and I think um, it, it's it's really down to John's hard work and and carpentry skills, um, and and Nikki's careful planning and consideration. Uh, they put a lot of time and effort into it, um, and how that sort of can connect to other diversification projects i suppose um it just shows that a lot of time and effort is needed before rushing into anything in particular especially when you're talking about tourism so taking the the time to carefully plan what's going on when you're introducing people onto a farm what that means what they're exposed to what they might do yeah an interesting one to be involved with and Nikki, what have you gained through the relationship with Jack over the years? And what's been what's been the most valuable advice he's offered you? Oh goodness me, he's always offering valuable <laughs> advice. He's helped us dot all our I's and cross all the T's with, obviously, because we've got public on the farm. He's just been there for us. You know, he's come out and he's assessed it and given us really good advice. And as a, a small farm, were you at all concerned that your needs might get overlooked? No, not at all. No, he's, he's, um, we're always chatting about the farm and tractor insurance and anything that goes on the back of the tractor when he comes out to the tree houses. There's always some question I've got for him, <laughs> and he's there with the answer straight away. And Jack, how do you make sure that small farms don't get overlooked, given the complex demands of bigger operations? Um, well, it's it's down to our sort of internal team, I suppose, working hard and making sure that every farmer has the opportunity and at these times in this sort of economic climate it's really important to make sure that the smaller farms are are well supported because they're the ones often that need to make the biggest changes and equally their insurances and their demands and needs are going to change more rapidly than a big farm so yeah we've got quite sort of stringent internal processes to make sure that nobody gets overlooked uh, and everybody gets a phone call and a visit if they need it Um, and yeah it works quite well okay Nikki, John, you mentioned your diversification was originally born out of a need to buy more land for Hereford cattle. Uh, could we take a look at them now, perhaps? Of course you can. Just before we carry on with the rest of this episode, to remind you, NFU Mutual has recently made some enhancements to its Farm Essentials Insurance product for smaller farms. Just search for NFU Mutual Small Farm or talk to your local agent. Right, back to the programme. Did you buy the Hereford cattle when you came here, or did you have the Hereford cattle? No, we bought them when we came here. And why we... Herefords, as opposed to any other breed? Was it a personal we... preference? or? No, we both wanted something that was untouched, not interbred with anything, mm-hmm. so we went with the original population, yeah. the Herefords, with the horns, which yeah. everybody, a lot of people are frightened of, but the horns don't worry us, and they've... No 
that we've never had a problem with them. So how many did you start off with? Uh, we started off with three. Three heifers or three? Three, three cows okay. in car. And then we used to borrow a bull, but then when our herd grew too much, we bought our own bull. And we always make sure we have a bull that's been AI'd from bulls going back to the 1960s. Square that's and short. Square and short. Yeah. So where do you sell them? Uh, we sell them off farm. I won't sell at market because we like people to come here so we can talk to them about how we rear the cattles, cattle and how we do things, how we farm. We farm traditionally. We don't cover our fields with nitrogen. We give it a mist of liquid seaweed. And all our lays are old lays. And we don't roll our fields. We aerate. So when it rains, all the rain goes down, right down to the, the roots of the grass. Are they out all year round? No, we, have, we house them in the winter. Uh, two reasons, really. One, to give the grass a rest. Mm-hmm. And two, just to, um, well, just think it's fairer on them, really. You know, if it's a wet winter. In the I mean, it country. depends, really. I mean, if it is a good winter, they'll stay out longer. Mm-hmm. But we just have to work with the elements, like anything. You just have to work with things. Do you spring calf or autumn? The bull runs with the cows all year round, but most of them tend to synchro with each other mm-hmm. so that they all sort of um, carve in the spring. We do have the odd one or two that's a late carver, but they all seem to catch up and synchro together. How many have you got in total? We had about 80 at the beginning of the year, but we've sold quite a few, and now we're down to about 50. Do you sell them all around the country? Do you get people from all over? It's really nice actually because we get when we get inquiries, usually it's just a couple of cows just to keep a bit of cut the fields down or a starter herd. Mm-hmm. And when we start when people come here and we start talking about how we do things with the aerating, the liquid seaweed, the topping, it's it's really nice that people tend to learn our way of farming. Mm-hmm. The only downfall, I suppose, is people want meat and, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd never produce meat at the quantities that these beef producers... We wouldn't want to do that. We we don't do this. When we send a a beast to slaughter, it's it's 30 months. We don't force it with grain feeds. It's all grass-fed over 30 months. And then it goes, and the, the meat's beautiful. Before you bought the farm, what farming experience did you both have? I came from a, a farming background in one sense because my father reared calves, and Nicky lived in the country, so um, we both uh, have had farming experience, and uh, it's a, it is a great love to be a farmer. It's just nothing quite like farming a bit of ground. So Definitely. And what about you, Nicky? Oh, I love it. I love the cows. I could talk cows all day <laughs> to people. And I do. If people come here... In the morning, I'm probably still here in the afternoon talking cows. And in terms of income, what do you imagine the split will eventually be between the farming and the tree houses? Well, it would be nice if the tree houses overcame the farming because then we wouldn't be so much pressure with the farming, really. And for now, at least, where does your heart lie in the farming or the tourism? Oh, goodness. That's a difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> that is. I suppose I love my cattle. 
but I do love all the guests we have. It's so lovely to see them come and then they go and you see their faces and they're completely chilled and relaxed and it's really lovely to see to see them have what we have take for granted every day, really. Do they show much interest in the cattle? They love it. Yeah, they, they think it's quite mad that they can open the door of the <laughs> treehouse and there's a cow stood there. I'll bet. Yeah. We've now been joined by David Harrison, one of NFU Mutual's farm insurance specialists. David, what do we mean when we talk about a small farm or a family farm? Well, size or acreage isn't always a a very good measure. So you can have some poultry farms uh, on a fairly small acreage but generate a a fairly substantial turnover. Uh, And there's also differences between upland or moorland areas and lowland areas. So as a general rule, uh, we would think of it uh, small farmers having a workforce of less than four, often a lot less than four, uh, and a heavy reliance on farm labour. Uh, less than 50 hectares in size and a turnover of less than £50,000. It's pretty dangerous to try and stereotype or or put small farms into the same box because they're extremely diverse. Uh, And we find they're often run in conjunction with diversifications as well uh, or the family has another income stream from elsewhere. And there's a number of reasons for having a smaller farm as well. It could be people downsizing toward retirement. Uh, It can also be young entrants who have to start small in farming due to the high entry costs. Uh, and it can be what's been inherited as well. If it's a small farm that's been in the family for years, then that's obviously it could get what gets uh, passed down to the, the next generation. And as well, we see people moving into farming who've made money elsewhere and have made a lifestyle choice to buy a small farm. OK, so what part do small farms have to play in 21st century agriculture in this country? Well, we think it's got a very important part to play. Um, it can be a route in for new entrants to farming. Uh, and there's also great diversity in small farms as well. There are different farms in different areas doing different things in different ways. Uh, and just a real uh, diversity and spread to things as well. Uh, they're also an important part of the rural community as well. So if there are five smaller farms, say, in an area that might just be one larger farm, uh, then that's uh, a real sense of, of community. Uh, those farmers uh, being neighbours with each other and utilising rural services uh, and potentially less isolating as well, uh, where there are a number of smaller farmers on a, a given acreage. Um, so as well, small farms are potentially providing employment in rural areas and they've got a really important part to play in managing the countryside and the environment that we see uh, as we witness today. And how important are non-farming income streams for smaller farms? Well, they can really make all the difference. So um, generally, smaller farmers will lack some of the economies of scale of their larger neighbours. Um, so small farms with, with diverse income streams uh, may mean as well that other family members uh, can remain on the farm uh, and be involved in diversification activities. And also, as we've seen here today with uh, Triopia, um, it's a good way of sort of opening the farm, you know, opening the countryside, as it were, uh, to guests who may not have any direct involvement in agriculture uh, and may come from sort of towns and cities. So uh, it's a great shop window as well. And where can a small farm turn to for help and advice? Well, a small farmer can uh, make contact with their local NFU mutual agent, uh, regardless of whether they've got just a small farm or a small farm with diversification activities as well. So we've come across now to what is your home and what was originally a parsonage, and next door is the old tithe barn where locals would come and pay their tithes. It is an incredible place. Have you any idea how old it is? The house was built in uh, 1304. Uh, The barn was built after that, I would have thought, um, it's got a detached kitchen because um, obviously the houses at that date were very important so they built the house separate to the kitchen because the kitchen would catch fire so the kitchen would be a disposable building so it could be rebuilt without losing the, the main house. And what sort of condition was it in when you bought it? 
uh, very poor. Uh, the roof was leaking, so you'd be serenaded by water <laughs> dripping in buckets. And in restoring it to its former glory, how concerned have you been about making it authentic? Oh, we've been to great depths about putting it back to how it well as much as we think it was uh, we've been to the records office and we've researched it we've um, had quite elderly neighbours who've been very kind and shown us photographs of uh, the house and the barn from their childhood so the tithe barn itself did you have to do any work to that as well yeah that was uh, derelict to the tin roof it was wrapped with tin which was good because it kept the, the water off the timbers but when we took it off, we then uh, exposed some of the, the lattice panels, which then reinstated. Years ago, the lattice panels were large. You can see some of the, the bigger panels in there now. But today, the uh, saplings that they cut only produce a certain size of lattice work because um, the trees aren't as big because we haven't got such a large stock of trees. But um, to do that, uh, it, you can get, well, cutting it, clefting it and so forth, putting the panel in. Uh, you're you're talking a lot of man hours to go around this barn. So why are you doing all this, John? Is it is it a sort of labour of love? Is it for is it is it that you're conscious that you need to pass it on to the next generation in an improved state, or what is it? Yeah, well, it, initially it's the love of doing it. It's there's nothing quite like putting something back to what it was. Um, the sense of achievement. Uh, we're custodians at the end of the day of something. We I want to keep it, preserve it, and show others. It's. Um, we're so lucky to here to be here and live here. Um, I just want to preserve it and keep it as as it was or or should be in my eyes. And each building means something to each other. Like it was a parsonage. It's got the detached kitchen. This is a tithe barn to it. The children playing here, and uh, they've just been face painting. So we've got the barn uh, laid out. John made some very heavy oak tables and benches, and. Uh, our son's got cerebral palsy and he attends Megan Baker House. Well, he used to. when He, he started when he was two. He's 15 now and uh, his education's more important. Um, but when he was there, it's, um, it's all free conductive education. So uh, we've had several events here for Megan Baker and we've raised about £6,500 for them just as a sort of a thank you. But again, the NFU were very good because we asked them about insurance on the barn and uh, they sorted all that out for us. Very, very reasonable. Megan Baker is a conductive education centre. It's at Morton Eye in Lempster. It just helps children with cerebral palsy or and lots of other different conditions. You've got the doctors and you've got the herbalists it's a bit like that. It's a job they do, which is, they are truly amazing people. But isn't that, isn't that lovely to be using this space in such a, such a positive way? You know, it seems a lovely thing to do to Well, me. we do give it to any charities, really. We say, you know, if you want to use it, yeah. they can use it, as long as it's charity. Uh-huh. With, with a sort of sense of history about the place, yeah. and, and this, it would have been one of the centres of the community. That just seems a really nice, yes, fitting way to use it now. So we've come into the house now and we're standing by the beautiful ingle nook here. So now the tree houses are starting to bring in some money. Is it time to sit back and relax? I'm guessing not from talking to you both. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> There's always something to do, so we'll think of something else to keep us keep us busy. So there's a bit to finish off with the house, so 
it'd be a year or so before we can start the next project really and what advice would you have uh whether for for small farmers just keeping their businesses ticking over or those trying to find other ways of making money on small farms i think the world's your voice too you can you can do what you want to do if you have the right mindset the only limitations are your limitations if you look at it a different way stand away from where you are mm-hmm. and then look in and then you'll be able to see the way forward Sometimes people do. I mean, you can't see the wood for the trees sometimes because you're so... You, the work and finance and stress of life and everything, you just need to step away and and look at it from a different angle mm-hmm. or perhaps just go for a walk down to a wood. Yeah, and now you can't see the wood for the tree houses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> So my overall impression of this farm is, first of all, what a stunning location. It feels like you're in the middle of nowhere, all the hills around you, beautiful trees as far as you can see, um, massive blue skies. And then you walk into the yard and you see this stunning farmhouse um, that's taken years to restore and to return it to its former glory. What a labour of love it's been for Nicky and John. The tithe barn itself, I've never seen anything like it. It's a stunning building. Um, they've done such a fabulous job of restoring it and then you walk down to the tree houses and what a unique thing to see they've spent years getting it right they've done so much of the work themselves and they've secured the future for this farm for the next generation Nikki and john haven't been afraid to do anything different here despite skepticism from others despite questions from the neighbors they've built something really unique here but that doesn't mean to say that other farmers can't learn from it and i think I think just their open-mindedness and willing to make the most of what they've got here and not be afraid to take a bit of a plunge into the dark. A lot of other farmers could learn from that positive mindset. And it's been really impressive to see how they're running the tourism business alongside the farming business. It's really given me food for thought for the future. As I mentioned earlier, NFU Mutual has recently made some enhancements to its Farm Essentials insurance product for smaller farms. Just search for NFU Mutual Small Farm or talk to your local agent. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate and review in the normal way. For now, from me, Will Evans, NFU Mutual, everyone here at Triopia in Worcestershire, it's goodbye. <laughs>